Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Friday, September the 7th, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Hope everybody's having a good Friday. Uh, lots of stuff. Happening NFL football, first football weekend of 2018. So I'm sure you guys are all excited about that. Mets coming off a pretty successful road trip. And guess what? The theme of this show is hope in Gotham. And why do we use the term Gotham? No, we're not talking about Batman. But Mark Healy, uh, managing editor of The Wave, also founder and curator and whatever you want to call it over at Gotham Baseball Magazine uh, has a book Gotham Baseball coming out sometime next year I believe the spring uh, Mark's book is coming out so stay tuned for that he'll be joining me in uh, just a bit I actually had a chance to catch up with him earlier so you'll hear that conversation and uh, that's the theme you know Mark was on right before the season started and both he and I felt that this Mets team uh, was actually pretty good in that they were probably about a 90-win team. Now, whether or not that was going to be enough to win the NL East was a whole nother conversation. And lo and behold, yes, they were historically bad in June and they were bad in May. But this team has, and I was reading an article at Baseball Prospectus, they have the best record in the National League East the last 30 games. Uh, baseball Reference has them... 24 and 21 over the last 45 and part of that baseball prospectus piece is actually diving into some of the advanced numbers which I'm not even going to begin to get into some of the ways they did that that's for you math majors out there I could get advanced statistics 101 and I think you kind of could really overdo this stuff I always have felt that way but uh, Mets and the Phillies aren't all that different when you start to break down their teams from an advanced statistics perspective. Mets have been really bad at home. They don't hit well at home. I think that's been something that's a, a quandary, let's put it that way. Um, and the Phillies have actually been uh, pretty good at home, and the Mets have been okay on the road, and the Phillies have been bad on the road. So 
it's interesting that really the difference between the Mets being somewhat in this race and, and not is winning at home. That's really where it comes down to. Now, that's not where I'm going with this because there's a lot of things I want to get into with Mark. I think the real reason for hope, and it's funny because the media has really started to pick up on this. I saw Pete McCarthy of WOR uh, talking about it earlier this week, you know, as the Mets were trudging through that road trip, which is a death knell road trip. Think about it. Chicago, San Francisco, L.A., pennant race, two pennant race teams, two of the better teams in the National League. The Cubs, you know, many think are the best. The Dodgers from a run differential are, uh, I don't know if that still holds up, but they're, they're, they're actually one of the better teams, if not the best, in the National League, a pennant-winning team. And they competed, and they actually had a road trip that if they were in contention would have been considered satisfactory. They were 5-4. and four. I mean, you can't, you can't go wrong with that. Really, I, I, I really was impressed. And they, they competed and won and played well in L.A. And I think the article that came out earlier today from Mike Puma of the New York Post uh, indicated that, and I agree with Dave Island, this is a championship-caliber starting rotation. You have DeGrom. You have uh, Noah Syndergaard, who, yes, has been hurt, but I think showed a lot. I mean, the blueprint on Sunday against San Francisco and how he went out there and he competed and he finished the game and he... He he focused on the running game a little bit when there was those few base runners on. And and I think Island has done an outstanding job at Wheeler. I mean, Wheeler, to me, has been the biggest revelation this year. And Matz has had a tough year, but he's starting to come around. Now, can they stay healthy? We'll see. Some of that has to do with luck. But the long and short of it is if you face this team in a short five- or seven-game series, it would be tough to beat them. I'm going to tell you now, if for some reason the Mets granted uh, the commissioner's office granted the Mets a spot in the postseason. I don't think any of the big teams would want to face this staff in a short series. Now, they have to improve the bullpen. Uh, they have to look at how they can get better defensively. Uh, offensively, it's going to be a little tricky to re- to retool this offense, which still needs some work. I think you have a bunch of component players now, and you don't have the big bat, and the big bat's probably going to be out most, if not all, of next year in Cespedes. So I'm not suggesting the Mets go in the postseason. They could go and win a championship right now. There's still work to do. But you don't want to face those four starters. That is a really special thing to have for anybody who's going to take over this organization. So with Mark, we're going to talk about that. I want to get his take because I really feel that the big difference with this team is the starting pitching and how they they really in the next couple of years could leverage the starting pitching and do some some damage. They really can. And if these guys are starting to learn, like Island said, how to control the running game, how to learn how to navigate lineups, uh, pace themselves, I think DeGrom being that bulldog, setting the tone is so important. And I think you're going to see Syndergaard follow that lead. And, and hopefully Wheeler has. He'll continue. And maybe Mats will get to the level where Wheeler is right now. Uh, the sky's the limit. Yeah, you got Vargas at five. But you don't mind Vargas at five if he can do what he's done in the last 30 to 40 days. He's going to have stinkers, but he's also going to go and give you five innings and with some of the interesting young arms in the bullpen and complement that with maybe some signings this offseason. Uh, away you go. So we'll get into that. We'll see what Mark thinks about this club. Uh, David Wright, you know, I talked about that the last podcast. I know that it sit well with many of you. I talked about David Wright and, and how I think he's not ready to play big league ball. I don't criticize the Mets or think the Mets are wrong for not activating him. I went into that. I mean, I'll see what Mark has to say. No, nostalgia-wise, you guys want to see it. I'm not about nostalgia. I want players to earn their position. And Mickey Callaway even talked about this on the pregame show on WOR with Wayne Randazzo and um, you know talked about how he's starting to see some of the things that he wanted to instill as far as the culture and the thought process starting to take shape. So it seems like, although they had some initial success the first month of the season, that that uh, that buy-in, that whatever Callaway, and he didn't articulate on it. I don't think Randazzo, I think the one thing Randazzo should have done is get a little more into that, but it's a pregame show, you don't have much time, is to talk about you know, what that is, what does that look like? You know, is that versatility? You mentioned versatility and why they're putting Dom Smith at different positions. Uh, is that, you know, kind of what you see from Jeff McNeil getting more of those type of players? Um, you know, what is that? How does that look? So that that's part of it. Um, and then, you know, you have this thing about bullpenning, and I think this is where 
the Mets have this this real gift with the starting pitching. If you read The Athletic, Ken Rosenthal came out with a report regarding how, despite the A's having this really great season, surprising season, they've been starting to go into some bullpenning, which is the starter sometimes comes in in the middle of the game. He doesn't know if he's starting. Uh, I know they rebuilt that team on relievers. There's nothing wrong with that. By the way, the 2006 Mets were one of the first teams to do, when I say bullpenning, not starting the game with a reliever, but playing the math game and not having starters that could go deep enough, more than five, maybe six innings. Usually, other than Glavin, uh, it was about five innings. So you started with the bullpen as early as the fifth inning, late fifth inning, sixth inning, and, and, and almost got them to a World Series, and you know what happened there. So it's not a new concept. It was done before, at least in that scenario. But starters not knowing that they're going to start every five days, not having a routine, uh, even though I know what you say, they're professionals, they should come prepared to play. You know, coming in, in the middle of the game on days where they start, I mean, that that's a routine, and athletes are creatures of habit, and great athletes, anyone. I remember Cal Ripken used to have a show on MLB radio, and he talked with every player that he had on uh, about that routine and what that routine was, and, and it was amazing, these great athletes talking about to the, to the very detailed level, those routines. And I think that's where uh, Rosendahl talked about the dissension on the A's about this bullpenning and the, this, the, the players not really understanding it. And if it was a Stratomatic game or fantasy baseball, it makes perfect sense because it's math. But these are human beings. These are human beings with uh, routines and ideas and, and anxiety and all the sorts of things that come with being a professional baseball player, not to mention what it impacts them in the wallet as well, which is a whole other conversation I was having with a, an agent just the other day. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's a it's necessarily a good thing. I think it, it looks good on paper, and, and I wonder if it's really healthy for a team. And the Mets don't have to play that game. Their idea of bullpenning will be how can they get, you know, hopefully if, if the starters do what you want to do, which is those seven strong innings, you got to get six outs, and you should be able to build a bullpen to navigate six Max eight, not maybe nine outs. Let's be fair, nine outs on some nights. Can't do 12, 15 outs a night. It's just too much. It'll burn your bullpen out. And unfortunately, that was what was going on earlier in the year, even when they were winning. And I think it took its toll in May and June. I think that was part of it. And and you got this this Lugo situation where he's become this utility swingman. Gazelman seems to be rounding back into form. Maybe they went through their lull with overuse uh, in this case of Gazelman. So the Mets have a lot here. They have interesting young players. Nimmo, McNeil, Rosario's starting to hit. Uh, it's interesting. His numbers, I looked at them. He's such a better hitter on the road, 100 points higher. He's a 300 hitter on the road. He's a 200 hitter at City Field. So figure that one out. I mean, the whole team falls into that. But, I mean, there's a lot here, in my opinion. Uh, and I think it starts with the pitching. Uh, I, I'm very curious who the GM is going to be. I know we had our buddy Rich Mancuso of New York Sports Day on, and he he's pretty sure it's Gary LaRocque, LaRocque, LaRocque. Who I'm probably saying his name wrong. I said Alderson's name wrong when he first came on board. I'll get it right if it is it is LaRocque. But you hear Sherman's report on the New York, at the New York Post, Martino at SNY, John Heyman a fan uh, a fan cred was a fan cred. You know now it's called he's be a fan rag fan cred. Uh, I mean it seems like the Mets may be going into a VP or a president of baseball operations and GM scenario and. Uh, you know, we'll see how that turns out. But look, we had our guys on, and our guys think it's going to be Gary LaRock. And uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, Rich was was right the last time, so I'm going to stick with that. So a lot to get into. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we return, Mark Healy, Gotham Baseball. Let's hear what he has to say. Let's hear if he agrees with some of the things I've been talking about about right Peter Alonzo's call up, some of the hope that you see in what has been a lost season. And I know. There's a lot of people thinking it's Pollyannish, and I got to tell you, I'd be the first to tell you that this is Pollyannish. I'd be the first. I'm telling you, there's something for the new GM to work with here, and it'd be a shame if they don't try to make this happen over the next couple of years. All right, let's uh, take a break. When we get back, Mark Healy, Gotham Baseball, right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. 
find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com and get Metsmerized today. We're back, and joining me, we had him on uh, right before the season started, the managing editor of Wave, author of uh, the Gotham Baseball book, Gotham Baseball website, at Mark C. Healy on Twitter, Mark Healy. Mark, uh, been a few months, had you on before the season, got you on now as we play garbage time here in September, and how are you, and uh, I guess you're gearing up for some Yankee baseball over at Gotham Baseball. Not much going on in Flushing. No, but, you know, the Mets are always a story, and Mike, and, and, and thanks again for having me on. Uh, it's, always, uh, it's always fun and, and certainly uh, retrospective, um, <laughs> you know, to, to be talking with you. Uh, folks who know, you know, we've worked together before, so it's always, it's always fun to um, touch base. Um, Absolutely. You know, the Mets, are always, the Mets are always interesting, Mike, because, as you well know, that even when they're losing and even when there's – um, even they, when they try to be quiet, there's always intrigue, right? Uh, you know, so many things to talk about. So while we're looking at the Yankees, I don't know if you saw my tweet today, but, uh, you know, the Yankees are very interesting because, and I don't know um, where you stood on this because I don't remember, but I, I thought that when they let Joe Girardi go, uh, that they were taking a giant risk, regardless of who they named to be the new manager. Because I thought that, Girardi had such a good handle on Sanchez, uh, Gary Sanchez, and that um, when he publicly called him out, Sanchez probably didn't like it. Sanchez's agent probably didn't like it, but he responded and he played well, um, you know, after being called out publicly by Girardi. So, you know, if I, and I tweeted this out this morning that if, if that had been the Mets last night in the middle of a pennant race with a catcher who couldn't catch and an ace that all of a sudden looks like a batting practice pitcher, I think that the coverage by the media, you know, by the mainstream media would have been like, you know, look at this clown show uh, right. that the Mets are putting out there every day. So I, I thought that the, the coverage or the coverage of it, you know, it's like, you know, the Mets, the Yankees haven't won since 2009. So this isn't a team that, you know, I understand they were very successful last year. But again, I think they took a big risk by letting go of Girardi. And now, you know, you have a situation where, I mean, that was, I mean, even John Sterling was talking about how embarrassing it was. So, I, you know, as, as much as we're gearing up uh, to cover a postseason run by the Yankees, by the same token, uh, the Mets, there's always plenty of uh, palace intrigue uh, to talk about with the Mets. Absolutely. And and you know what? Um, you made a great point there. The narrative this year has been the Mets have a, a lousy farm system. And I know that there's obviously things lacking there. We know the issue with the, the three GMs and how that creates some chaos. It's a Wilpon staple, these committees, as you know. But the thing that's not really being talked about, and you're starting to see a little bit of it, there's something here. Now, it's been a bad year. May and June were awful, and that doesn't – you know, you can't just, just take that and throw it out. But for anybody to sit here and say the next GM – and Adam Fisher, who used to work for the organization, actually tweeted this out yesterday – and say they don't have something to work with. It's not just the three pitchers. You've got Nimmo. You've got McNeil. I you know who the hell knows what Alonzo's all about. Um, you know, you got some veterans like Frazier, who I always – you know, I know the numbers aren't overly impressive, but I think he's a good glue guy. I think you got stuff here. Now, you're missing that impact bat with Cespedes being out. You see that on some nights. This is not a dumpster fire, and I never felt they should have ripped it apart, and they didn't. And I hope the next GM doesn't either. Um, do you agree? Because I, I look at this, and what I want to see is them compete. I want to see them compete like they never really did when they were out of it under Terry Collins. And I want to see you know, what, I, what they have here because I think there's something here. I, I tend to lean towards what you're saying, Mike, um, and for a lot of reasons. I can't honestly say that, you know, 
you know, let's be, let's be honest. If we rewind back to the beginning of the season, I said I thought they would win 90 games. Uh, if so you remember I. that, yep, you know, I, I, I really, I mean, I really thought that they had, you know, the kind of team. And, and part of it was I wasn't really impressed with anyone else in the division. You know, I really wasn't impressed with the Nationals. I thought that, you know, even though um, I was not a fan of Dusty Baker and still think that, you know, it might not have been the right move uh, as far as uh, replacing him with someone who's never done it before, uh, I actually thought, um, you know, that that they were I, – I honestly thought that the Nationals weren't as good as everybody thought they were. And while I thought that the Phillies and the Braves would be better, I certainly didn't think that the Braves were going to be, you know. No way. And even, even with that, but even with that, we've seen the Braves. I mean, yes, they have young talent, but we've seen the Braves. I mean, they're not – they're not going to win a hundred games. They're not a dominant team. So if the Mets had not basically imploded, you know, in, in, at the end of May and June and July, you know, maybe this would be a three team race. Um, maybe if they hadn't had a Cespedes fall off the face of the earth, maybe if they, maybe if they would have not rushed Vargas back if they had given him a little bit more time to get, you know, since he basically missed all the spring training. Um, you know, it was almost as if, it was almost as if a lot of what happened with the Mets, you know, Bruce all of a sudden being a guy who's hurt, Frazier going on the DL for the first time. I mean, a lot of things went wrong. And predictably, you know, the season fell apart. Um, they're playing better because I think that, you know, with Zach Wheeler being consistent and Jake DeGrom having a phenomenal year, Matt's finally starting to be consistent, stringing along starts. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, Syndergaard, you know, has pitched better of late, certainly. Um, you know, the bullpen was a mess. And, you know, again, I blame Sandy Alderson for hiring. And, you know, I don't want to speak ill of a man who's, who's you know, who's, who's, who's battling you know, cancer. I don't want to, you know, speak ill of the, of, of the man, but let's be honest, we're talking about job performance. We're talking about results, right? Sure. So um, you hire a guy who's supposed to, you know, know his way around the pitching staff. And just like the manager he took over for, when it comes to fixing the bullpen or managing the bullpen, just completely lost. And I really thought right. Island would be a guy that, that if Callaway wasn't sure that Island would be like, you know, hey, let's not put this guy in this spot. Let's let's you know, let's try to find something better for these guys to do, and that did not happen. Even with, you know, even with having quality arms in the bullpen like Lugo and Gazelman and, and Familia, uh, the over reliance on Blevins, who was who really just out of the blue, Mike. I don't think anybody expected him to be so horrible. Um, you know, so I really think at the end of the day, they're better than we think they are. They're not as bad as we thought they were, but they're certainly better, you know, or as good as what we're seeing now. McNeil has been a revelation, probably should have been up sooner. Um, I still think they've mishandled first base completely, and, and I can respect or understand the decision not to bring up Alonso but not to play Dom Smith there every day when he was healthy just seemed completely idiotic to me. If you're not going to bring up Alonso because you don't want to get his, you know, super two status started and you don't want him to lap quote unquote Dom Smith because he was supposed to be better. You got to do something that makes sense. And, and I wanted Wilma Flores in the lineup because I do think he's a clutch hitter. And I do think that, he cares probably more about winning baseball games than anybody on that team. Um, you know, it just seems to me there's the reason I think people are, aren't as optimistic as you and I is because there is still that disconnect between the field manager and what happens on the team. And I'm not saying I, I think they should fire Mickey, but I think if a new GM comes in that he should have the freedom to be able to say, look, okay, I want to add, you know, A, B, and C, but I'm not really loving this manager. And if, right. if he doesn't, he should have the freedom to be able to make a change if he wants to make a change. It's fair. I mean, look, with the Dom Smith thing, and, and I hope Callaway does this, 
let guys earn their spot. I mean, and yeah. Well, that's true too. Right. And, and I but we didn't, he, he didn't really get an opportunity to do that though, Mike. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. That's the part we don't know. That's You're true. Right. On the surface, that's true. It looks like none of us know what's, and I that's know everyone's going to point out uh, to the, the, the clock thing back in the spring. Something oh my like, God. Well, that, the, that's the ancient history. Thing, I mean, yeah. The, the only thing I can say is I think Callaway talked about how they're looking for him to get more versatile. Everybody's looking for that. That's going to be the new fad in baseball. You've got to play multiple positions. Um, and, you know, they've killed his value. There's no doubt about that. But what I hope for the rest of the year is that people earn positions. Look, Neil has earned everything he's gotten because nobody, you and I yes. haven't probably, if we, you and I weren't talking about Jeff McNeil last time you were on. And and I got to tell you, no, I wasn't thinking not. about Jeff McNeil. I mean, I heard about him first time when this guy's hitting home runs in April. I'm like, that's interesting. But, you know, who cares? The guy's, you know, filler. And now he's a grinder, and some people are comparing him to Daniel Murphy and things like that. Now, as far as the GM search, you know, we had Rich Mancuso on the show, and, and I see what Martino and Joel Sherman are reporting. And you, you've written about Gary LaRoque, and there's some – feeling and in, in, in reporting that that might be who the Wilpons want. And then you've got Martino and Sherman saying that maybe they'll go to kind of a, um, a president GM situation. There's some that think Manaya is going to wind up and I doubt he takes the job because I, I don't think that's the role that he would be good at. So what are your thoughts? You know, you talked about LaRoque, you know, Mancuso's out there saying it's LaRoque. You got Sherman Martino reporting what they're reporting. Mark Shapiro's name has come up, you know, Chernoff, all these guys. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, look, I, I when we talked about Gary LaRock the last time I was on, you know, I, I told you I thought that he was, you know, I, I told you that I really thought that he was, you know, the best guy for the job. I think that's the last conversation we had. I wasn't on the show. That was you and I talking. No, we were, we were talking. Uh, I and was, I, and he has a lot of qualities that, you know. I just feel like he's a, he comes from an organization like, you know, I loved him when he was at the Mets because he was a guy that, that would sit down and he would talk Turkey with you. And he wasn't, he wasn't afraid to be accurate. He wasn't afraid to, you know, put his cards on the table. He wasn't afraid to say like, Hey, yeah, we like this guy or we don't like this guy. And, you know, I'm sure that there's a feeling in the organization, but it never came back to bite him. You know, he was a guy that we all respected because, we knew that he would tell us the truth. And I think that, uh, that honesty, that, that self-evaluation, that, you know, understanding what's at stake and what, you know, communicating with the media on a regular basis can do. I mean, I think he, he really, you know, he, he really had the quality of being able to bring people from different walks of life. You know, when you're talking about, um, the division between the on-field personnel and, and, and the analytics guys, you know, that is a divide that is in every organization. It's a divide among baseball people you talk to, you know, there's such, and, and, and let's be honest, there's arrogance on both sides. There's baseball guys who cannot stand the, you know, the stat nerds as they call them. And then there's the stat nerds that, uh, you know, and the saber magicians, as I like to call them, who think that, you know, just because you play baseball doesn't mean that you know everything. And, you know, I kind of lean more towards the baseball guys just because I feel like if you've done it, um, at least you have a better perspective of a guy who's never done it. And I think the emotional thing comes into play, the mental approach to the game, um, understanding that certain guys cannot pitch like other guys, you know, like I, I think you're seeing it now with Seattle, with the Mariners, with their closer. I mean, the guy is pitching every day. And, you know, the postseason's going to come along if, if Seattle winds up making it, which I don't think they're going to, but let's just say they do. The guy's arm is going to be toast. But, you know, all oh, the numbers, the numbers say this, the numbers say that. Well, sometimes the numbers aren't always – you know, sometimes you have to be in that position. You look at Bud Black, what he's done with the Rockies, you know, and, and he, he was a guy that um, when the Mets working, it looked like the Mets weren't going to hire Wally Backman. People were like, well, is it Wally or, or Bust? And I said, no, I said, you know, Bud Black is a guy I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for, uh, interviewed him a bunch of times. And I always found him to be a guy that made a lot of sense when he talked about the bullpen and it's how it worked. If they had and hired how, Collins a year earlier, <sighs> they probably would have had Bud Black. 
that would have been. <laughs> would have been they would have had a lot of different people had they been smart people, enough to do that. I don't want to get into that because everyone gets mad about bringing right. up the name anyway. So. Yeah, I know, I know, but 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 it's 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 look. If if they hired a guy like Gary, um, I would be really happy. Um, but I'm 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 a little afraid of bringing in a Charrington or somebody like that who's not a New York guy, who doesn't understand the the way that the way that the media works and the fan base works. And I I think that you know Alderson was very surprised. I think he even admitted it once. He was very surprised, and I think Callaway was taken out of out of. Uh, I think he was taken aback too. That people just were not prepared, uh, you know. And Willie Randolph was a, is an example of a guy who should have been prepared and and wasn't prepared. So, you know, I, I think that whoever they bring in uh, from a from a front office standpoint should be someone that's been around the block a little bit and. I'm, I know people talk about Ben Sherrington. The guy I'd like to see them get is the guy from the Brewers. But but to get Stearns, you'd have to offer him a president job, and then then it would turn into well, who's Stearns' guy? He would want to be the GM, and then you know, does that mean we're going to get like you know Ned Yost being the next? You know, oh, like I God. worry about all that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like. I I worry after, after about seven years of Terry Collins. I, I you gotta you know maybe that's because of Collins. That Callaway doesn't doesn't look that bad. But you know you bring up the whole stat thing and and you see in Ken Rosenthal. I don't know if you you saw that the Athletic. Uh, he talked about how the A's. Yeah, Oakland, I saw it. Yeah. You know they're they're starting to say you know what what's going on here and you're jerking the guy in and out of the rotation. They they're playing chemistry. I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to win games with bullpen. Which by the way. One of the first things to try to do that was the 2006 Mets, if you remember. They try to win it with the bats in the bullpen. It's not the first time it's happened, and you play math, and 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 it's you know that's Omar Manaya's team. But you know, look, um, these guys have. I hate to sound like Joe Torre because I mean, there's so much logic out there now in the game where they have hearts. You have to kind of look. I, I here's another thing I don't like what they've done to Jacob uh, Rom with with uh, uh, kind of. Jerking him out back and forth Vegas like ten times. I mean, that's not good for someone's development. It's fantasy baseball now. Look at the transaction wire. It's like a fantasy baseball league. Nothing different. All these guys played fantasy baseball growing up. Now they're running real teams, and they've brought that to these teams. And it even goes into pushing starters, which I've been a proponent of, and you've seen a little bit with with Noah and Degrom. It's okay to go 120 pitches. Syndergaard at pitch 107 is probably better than Anthony Swarzak on his best day. And I think you got to get back to that. And I think it all ties into who they bring in, you know, their philosophy. And, and, and are you just going to, you know, be holding yourself to math, which I get, but you got to use some common sense. And that's sorely lacking in a game in general. I think you'd agree with that. Just to, just to, you know, when, when you, when you talk about, you know, teams like copycat, right? NFL has always been a copycat league. It's run and shoot. Everybody goes to the run and shoot. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, ground and pound. One team is successful and other teams are like, you know what, we really don't have the personnel to run and shoot, so let's ground and pound. I, I, I think that when you have a process in place and it doesn't fit your personnel and you have a disconnect between the front office and, and the field guys, that's what happens with the new, like that's, that's, I think a lot of what happened with the New York Mets. I think that when you're, I don't think half the time, I don't think that, that Mickey Calloway was believing the things that he was saying, you know, when he, when he first talked about, I only want guys to go through the lineup twice. I mean, that's that's not how Dave Island thinks when it no. comes to developing a pitching staff. Uh, it's not what, you know, it's really not, uh, you know, to quote Joe Torre, it's really not what you want, you know? Right. You don't, you, you don't want, I mean, not Joe Torre, Joe Girardi. Um, mm. You know, there has to be a connection so that if you have a process and you're hiring a guy who you think fits the process, and maybe he does and maybe he doesn't, but it just seems to me that the way that the lineup was constructed, the, the, the way that Callaway would communicate with people, 
after games, it just seems there was a, just a, a, a complete disconnect between what the front office wanted done, what the, maybe what ownership wanted done, and what was being done on the field. And whether we like it or not, if it's going to be analytics, then go hardcore analytics and don't mess with it. Just do it. Because the only way that you're going to find success, you know, the only way that you're going to do it is by, it's, it's by rote. You got to do it over and over and over again. You got to buy in. If you don't buy in and you give up, you know, two months in, then you're never right. going to find a solution. It goes back to, you're, you're never going to find it. Yeah. It goes back to the old Pat Riley thing. You got to get a core covenant from you and the organization, the team. You all got to be on the same page. You don't have to like each other. No one has to say you have to have dinner with each other. Right, You just right. got to come to work exactly. knowing. That's the thing that people admit. Chemistry is not about liking each other. It's about being on the same page when you're at work. Exactly. Within the scope it's being of able to work role, together. Right, exactly. Right, that you understand your role. If you're Jose Bautista and you're going to play three days a week, you're okay with that. You're not complaining about it. And, everything. and I'll tell you what I really like, and it tells me a lot, and they can learn from all that. I still remember it's Philadelphia. It's that complete game victory a couple of weeks ago. The Grom you know, gets – Reese Hoskins out in the eighth inning, and right away the media, oh, his day's done. Great job, DeGrom. And, and I'm like, no, send the guy out. Send him out, and he asked for the ball, and I think Noah asked for the ball. And to a certain degree, I think Matt's is starting to get to that, and I think Wheeler for sure, which I'm shocked about. I've never been huge on Wheeler. And I'm saying to myself, maybe DeGrom is finally having uh, the impact that you have with, like, and I hate to use Seaver, but, like, you know, Seaver demanded that excellence, that kind of mindset. And they have that. And, you know, he had the media looking to trade him for Brandon Drury? I mean, come on. How do you well, that a was, guy like this? I mean, come on. You know, that was a combination. Let's, let, let's not forget that, you know, a lot of the guys that cover this team, you know, happen to think that, you know, that, that they happen to have that same mindset about, you know, analytics and how all oh, they're also. Ow, I, I looked ow. into their background. I can look up old tweets. They old. They're Yankee fans growing up too. That that doesn't hurt as well. You don't lose that completely. Well, you, I mean, journalist, you lose it, but that's always, especially when you're a young journalist, that's always in the back of their mind sometimes too. It'd be nice. To I think you have to be honest. Fun. I just think I just I just think be honest about it. I mean, that's what I'm. You know, I mean, that's how I feel. I've always felt that. You know, people ask me, I tell them the truth. Yeah, I'm a Mets fan, but that, you know, you're going to tell me that I favor the Mets when I write about them. Come on. I think everybody knows that, you know. Sure. Uh, it just the, the, and then of course you have swung you, so much. It swung so much where yeah. it's so clear. I mean, I, I, not everything is bad. That's and that's why people say, "Well, Mike, you never used to be like this." Well, you know, at some point I look at it and I'm like, "Okay, we got to have some common sense here and look and say, right, a part of right. team that's you know 24 and 21 since the All Star break, uh, you know, was 24 games under 500 in two months, which is obscenely bad." Orioles level bad. That's not what this team was. Uh, you know, the brave losses were bad. Uh, you know, some wacky things happened. Cespedes, I think, was holding them back, waiting for him. I think that's been a problem this organization has had a while. Um, so now they've moved on. And and the, the, the thing that you look at, and I guess maybe Alonzo's that guy, and I don't know if you could get it this offseason, whoever builds this team – is going to build a team with strong starting pitching, hopefully a better bullpen. Hopefully some of these young pieces could be a big part of it. Um, good component players, some interesting young players with grit, but no impact bat because the impact bats, you know, going to be out to the all-star break. Maybe, maybe, maybe all year. Oh, please. He's, not, he's not taking the field next year. Anybody that thinks he's taking the field yeah, next Cliff year. Cliff Floyd is talked about that surgery. Cliff Floyd had that surgery, not the same off season. And, uh, you know, you're, you're basically pulling your, your skin up and going underneath the Achilles and yeah, yeah. the bone. It's, yeah. it's not, you know, yeah. and, and listen, I'm going to get to this. I love Cliff, but he wasn't exactly, uh, you know, an Iron Man either. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, he talked about it. He was honest. He said, you know, and I remember, listen, Cliff Floyd won me over in 2003 on one leg going like 11 for 12 right before going to the DL in a season that nobody gave a rat's ass, excuse me, rats you know what about. And, um, you know, that's that's a gamer, man. That's that's in short supply, and I want to see that from these guys. Um, you know, who's Mike Jacobs and is a flash in the pan, and who's a, a keeper? And that's and that's what you have to decide. Uh, you know, as time goes on. Now, here's something interesting because I know you're a nostalgia guy, but I also think you're pragmatic. This whole David Wright scenario. Uh, 
Here, here's what I said, and everyone's angry with me. I have no problem with David Wright playing, none whatsoever. I, if, if in a perfect world, the baseball gods, if they exist, would come down, heal the neck, let the guy finish out his contract in some capacity as a, you know, 300 at bat guy, and the Mets gets to the postseason and he gets a big hit in some capacity and he walks off in the sunset, maybe with a World Series title or another pennant. Reality is, Mark, that, and if you read this story again, we go back to the athletic with Mark Kerrig. The guy wakes up every morning not knowing what body part, the neck, the back, the shoulder is going to be like no go today. Best case scenario, looking at three days a week where he can work his tail off to even be in the, in the dugout and be an option. Uh, and then the rest of that time, he's not even going to be – he could be crippled. I mean, read what spinal stenosis is. And for the fans to say activate him, you know, put him out on the field, this isn't Sunday softball. Um, yes, I know finances play into it, but I really believe there's a disconnect between playing baseball and being a major leaguer. And, and, and you've been down on the field. You see how fast it is. And David Wright, personally, uh, the clips I saw, uh, does not look like a big leaguer in any way, shape, or form. Now, I hope that I'm wrong, but you know, there's a difference between being AAA okay and playing half-mass in AAA and high-A and being able to take the field in any capacity. And by the way, play against teams that Atlanta, Philly have actually something to compete for. I, I I'm not, I, I, look, I'm not, I'm going, I'm not going to get angry and say that you're totally wrong and you're out of your mind. Um, because there are, there is some truth to what you're saying, but um, and if the Mets were in a pennant race, I'd be like, there's no way that you can, there's no way that you can right. activate them. But they're playing garbage time baseball, and I, you know, as a, as a huge fan of David Wright, and a Mets fan, and, I, you know, look, I, I, especially now that Todd Frazier is hurt, you know, I activate him, I let him play, and, and, you know, and let him say goodbye to the fans. And then sit down with David at the end of the season and say, David, we can't commit to you next year. It's not going to happen. You can't give him – and I don't think David – I think David wants to get on the field just to prove to himself that he can still play. But I don't think David is the kind of guy who's going to hold the the organization, you know, uh, for ransom. I don't think he's going to do that. I don't think that he – I mean, he's a captain. You know, he's not, he's not a selfish player. He's never been a selfish guy. He, you know, looks at all the work he put in. And, you know, if the Mets have to pay, you know, Mets have to pay him $3.5 million because he come because he came back, well, then, then he, should, he should get that opportunity. Um, if he gets hurt, well, that's a risk he took. And, you know, I would hate for it to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. And I think that even if they give him – even if they give him a week, let's put it this way: Todd Zeal got a farewell to- farewell tour. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, know if you I remember do. that. I, I do. That was the worst I, thing. Race, that was that was the race. worst thing. Right. You know. No, the but the Todd Zeal farewell thing. tour was one of the worst things ever in the history of the New York Mets. I mean, the idea that he had Todd a Zeal home runs in Philadelphia and they they fell in love with him as a pinch hitter and Ray's I mean, been getting one and, and Reyes' career. Let's face it. Um, really is remembered in three years. Oh six, oh seven, oh eight. Okay, eleven with the yeah, but, title. But, but the thing is, know. Jose. I mean, and we all know what Jose did, and and it was reprehensible. But everybody that deals with Jose, everybody that's really been around him, loves the guy. So you know, I'm I've never been surprised. I'm a little surprised at how much they played him this year when he was hitting a hundred. But right. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised they brought him back. I'm not surprised that he's still here. And I wouldn't be shocked, and I think I might have said this before, but I wouldn't be shocked that he's still here because, you know, David may have surmised something along the lines of wouldn't it be great to say goodbye and for, you know, right. Jose to play short and for me to play third one more time together. Right. So, so I, I wouldn't discount that as playing a role in it either. So let's let's wrap it up here. Uh, good stuff here, and, and we'll we'll be talking more as the uh, as the season, well the off season now. But um, what do you got coming up now? Here's a well, two parts question here. Number one, what do you got coming up? Number two, you do politics now a little bit over at the Wave. 
And I was impressed. You, know, you got Bill de Blasio, if I remember correctly, on a podcast. So who, what's more thrilling, interviewing Bill de Blasio or interviewing uh, you know, Omar Minaya, Sandy Alderson, or uh, Jeff Wilpon over there, you know? Honestly, it's all the same. It's all the same. I, yeah. I got to be honest. It's all the same to me. The only time it's different is when I get an opportunity to talk with a guy like Steve Garvey. When I interviewed Steve Garvey, that was cool. You know, like that was like impressive. You know, here's a guy that I grew up watching play and a guy who was just so what a gentleman. Um, I get excited when I deal with guys like that, uh, like a George Brad or Eddie, even Eddie Murray, who was actually a a gentleman when I dealt with him uh, at the winter meetings one year. Those are the guys um, that really I get excited about. Um, General managers of teams, owners, uh, they're just, they're all suits, you know? I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way, but, you know, um, rehearsed. In a lot of ways, uh, sometimes the politicians, they're even more afraid of of what they say than, you know, than, than baseball people. Especially the guy so, that I mentioned. He should be afraid of a lot of things he says. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, look, man, you know, the, the, we're doing some exciting things at the Wave. Uh, I'm real excited about that. I got a book to finish. Um, that, that deadline is rapidly approaching. Um you know, just some, just a lot of good stuff uh, on tap. The book comes out in the spring of 2019, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, and really, Mike, just you know, looking forward to this process. You know, people used to say to me, I remember when Joe Beningo asked me on the air once uh, about Fred, uh, about Jeff Wilpon, and he asked me if I thought that you know Jeff Wilpon would be the kind of Jeff Wilpon would be the kind of owner that if he ever got that if he ever got the um, the opportunity to run the team. Would he be a good owner? Would he spend money? I think he, I think he is. I think he will. Uh, it's just a matter of, will he let his ego get in the way of what, right. you know, of, of what uh, needs to be done? Will he continue to be passive aggressive? Uh, you know, will he continue to be um, a guy that demands excellence, which is fine, but do so, behind the scenes. Right. So well, there's a part of me that wants, there's a part of me that wants Jeff to be like, look, man, if you're going to run the show and you're going to be, you know, the guy, you're going to be, you know, another George Steinbrenner, which I've heard him refer to himself as, then do it. You know, don't hide behind the baseball the department. Just yeah. be out front and, you know, spend the money, be out front and, and do what's, and do what's needed. Right. For sure. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure. It goes by so fast. We're looking forward to the book, looking forward to catching up with you, and uh, I'm sure we'll have more fun with this stuff as the time goes on. So be well, my friend, already. Uh, you too. Thanks again. And that's Mark Healy, at Mark C. Healy on uh, Twitter, Gotham Baseball, Gotham Baseball Magazine. You know it well. Hey, let's take a quick break, wrap up, final thoughts uh, right after this. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now that's Mets M-E-R-I-Z-E-D online.com and get Metsmerized today all right final thoughts uh I thought Mark had some great stuff so hope you enjoyed it um as far as the show uh what are we doing here so uh you know wind the season down we take because the Mets haven't been in the postseason uh the last couple of years uh, we, you know, we take that kind of little October hiatus. The show started in 2016, first year of the show. The Mets make the postseason. It hasn't been that way the last two years. Uh, but with the GM search, I wonder if uh, there's going to be some good content coming up. So, yes, I plan on still doing weekly podcasts. Uh, you, you know, I've been not always doing it on Sunday. 
I think that does help getting guests. And for now, because it's not as time sensitive with a pennant race conversation, it doesn't really matter. It could be a little bit more uh, uh, newsworthy. That's always the challenge with podcasts, the newsworthiness of them after you know it expires. And sometimes, depending on the topic, it could expire really quickly. So so that's, there's that. Um, so away we go. So uh, that that's the, what's going to happen. I think that October will bring us a lot of content and the ability for us to do some fun things. So we'll see how that works. And We'll, uh, we'll take it from there. Hey, I want to thank everybody uh, for tuning in. I want to thank our buddy Mark Healy. Check him out at Gotham Baseball, at Mark C. Healy on Twitter. Of course, I want to thank the good folks over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. There's a bunch of podcasting services that I'm on. Go find one. I'm there. You can leave me a review on iTunes. It'd be greatly appreciated. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Take care. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.